Hello and welcome once again to Wrestling Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. We're available beyond the FM dial where you can stream us at RadioNorthland.org and you can also uh, listen to past episodes on our SoundCloud page via the website, uh, RadioNorthland.org. We're also available live and in the moment on Oh, to TuneIn app. Yes, I almost forgot about the TuneIn app. And we're also uh, members of the Offshoots uh, Network as well. So you can download uh, through uh, various uh, thing, various uh, opportunities to check out the program. Hi, I'm uh, Glenn Broggett, along with uh, my main man down there deep in the heart of Texas. While we're recording today, it's raining cats and dogs up here in northwestern Minnesota. But he's down there in, in Texas where the temp's a little bit, uh, little bit better and uh, probably a little bit drier. A big welcome to the grizzled vet, Mr. Mike McCartney. Curdy, Mike, welcome to again to another edition of Wrestling Memories Then and Now. Well, thank you, man. I'm always looking forward to this. And yeah, it's about 70 degrees here in Texas right now. I have been told I suck, but uh, that's a different story. <laughs> but we do have the rain. We do have the rain coming in, though. There, we're expecting that tomorrow's supposed to drop down into the 50s and a lot of rain. And unfortunately, in Texas, a lot of rain means a lot of floods and a lot of cars stuck in the middle of the freeway. So, you know, our our funds are coming. We can go from hot and sunny to wet and rainy and, you know, three inches of rain in a matter of an hour, unfortunately. It it dumps in Texas, so we're looking forward to that one. Oh, yes, yes, yes. We're just looking here for whatever, uh, whenever it's going to stop raining, I guess. But, hey, you know, enough of the weather, man, because uh, we've got uh, some good stuff. I mean, just uh, recently on Wrestling Memories, we made the announcement uh, we've been added to uh, to a network, which is always nice to be a part of a gang that actually uh, wants our wants our butts uh, ab- aboard, right? There you go, man. We are now going to be distributed through the Offshoots Network, which uh, widens our distribution, man. It's going to put us through on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, you know, many more platforms where you're going to be able to find uh, Rascal Memories. And, of course, for any of our listeners that are just now finding us on the Offshoots Network, we have been posting uh, Rascal Memories Rewind to kind of give you guys a little bit of a taste of, you know, some of the stuff we've done in the past. Oh, absolutely. We've had some great guests through the years, uh, Mike. Uh, and of course, being up here in AWA country, there's a lot of great AWA interviews uh, in as well. So yes, definitely uh, glad to be part of the Offshoots Network. Off, you know, It's just always great to uh, be able to talk wrestling, nostalgia and all of that. And our guest today, Mike, you were uh, this is one I, I've been looking forward to for quite some time and you were able to, to do some really good booking. And I do have to give you uh, the Grizz his proper due there uh, on booking this guest this week. Well, yeah, man, through the wonders of social media, I was able to, uh, you know, come in contact with this gentleman. At first, when I first saw the name, I didn't realize who it was. Really? I saw his name come up in a comment stream, and I'm like, and I was like, let's kind of, kind of clicked on it for a second, and then I realized who it was, added a friend request, and then eventually got us in touch with him and asked him, hey, would you like to be a guest on our show? You know, and he was very gracious. You know, we set up a time, and he's our guest this week. But, man, the only thing I can say to our listeners right now Yes. Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. Oh, see, that's that, that, that ain't All it. I can say. If, if you're a wrestling fan, you don't catch it. infringement, though, I apologize. If, 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 if the wrestling fan can't pick that up, then uh, what kind of wrestling fan are they? Well, you know, you mentioned Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo, and, uh, of course, he, uh, in the early 1990s, he, he, he got big, man, with uh, PN News. But for up here in AWA country, we remember him as uh, a young up-and-comer known as the Avalanche. So we're going to kind of talk about some of not only uh, just 
uh, the PNU stuff. We want to talk about the Avalanche stuff. I want to talk about the time he spent in Portland. I want to talk about the Germany stuff, even up to the ECW era. Uh, it's a great guest, and it's such a wonderful time to have him on the program. Uh, he's he Actually, as we're talking today, he is back in AWA country. It's a big welcome. It's always uh, an honor to have him, whether he's the Avalanche or PN News or uh, Cannonball Grizzly. It's just great to have him on the program. We'll just go with PN News this week. A big welcome to PN News. Thank you for uh, being a guest. And you're in Grand Forks at the moment? Yeah, I'm in Grand Forks uh, doing some other uh, random stuff up here. Uh, it used to be the hot red bed of professional wrestling, but uh, no longer. There's a lot of other stuff going on up here. But, Mike, yeah, I, okay, For let's, let's clear this up for the fans out there. I was the one who said Mike sucks. And I'm sure he sucks really well, but I was referring referring to the nice weather he has down in Texas. Just to get that cleared up, Mike. So you, you didn't want you don't want to have our have our guests get healed out already, Mike. Come on now. No, no, of course not. Of course not. We gotta treat our guests yeah, with oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, we're going to treat our guests with respect, Mr. McCurdy. I mean, no, no, no. It's just uh, you're just a lucky duck with the damn weather. We're up here, uh, you know, swimming around in the the, the pond that uh, in the rain that just keeps falling here today as we're chatting. Exactly, man. I'm, I mean, my, my feet are actually cold today, so. Oh boy, it's uh, great to have you on. I mean, like I mentioned before, of course, uh, you became you were well famous uh, to a lot of wrestling fans as PN News, and we'll talk about uh, the character of PN News and your run. But for me, you know, I remember you coming on the scene in the AWA for a few months in 1987, as uh, you know, you became the Avalanche. Uh, I mean, you're from the Nebraska or from the state of Nebraska. Now, was AWA one of the some of the first wrestling you were able to watch? before you became a professional wrestler or how did this all come together uh, with pro wrestling and, and you and making it a career? Well, I mean, as a kid growing up, yeah, we, we pretty much uh, got the AWA. Um, it was what came into the area of Vern Gagne, that whole, uh, I mean, I grew up watching uh, Greg Gagne and uh, jumping Jim Brunzel at the time and Andre the Giant would come in and and uh, me and Gene Oakland was up there, and at, uh, I remember when Hulk Hogan came in in blue trunks and white boots, and uh, you know it was and Jimmy Schnuka, you know we, 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 I saw a lot of Jimmy Schnuka out there, you know, so it, it was it was really that was and, and they the AWA did come and do shows around where I grew up in Northeast Nebraska and stuff like that, so we'd end up going to see him in like in Yankton, South Dakota, we'd go see him at the uh, the Shriners uh, Circus Arena there, and uh, we'd enjoy the we'd enjoy the show. It was uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, there was just so much more more wrestling going on. You know, the the, the circuit. I mean, those territory days, boy. We we definitely uh, living in this part of the country greatly benefited from having a, a company just as strong uh, like the AWA with all of their stars through the years. Well, it, yeah, but it, well, it, I mean, it benefited everybody. I mean, at one time the AWA was, you know was the place to be, you know, just like at one time the Pacific Northwest was the place to be, you know, and, and, you know, and now the only place to be is the WWE because they've kind of run everybody out of town. But mm. the, the, the only thing is that, oh, sure, the money's really big up there in the, with the WWE, but the, the problem with that is the territories kept the guys really busy and they were better, guys, guys honed their, their, their craft really well working every night. 
You know what I mean? Oh, sure. It was the, the, the territory was such a great thing. But to get back on team, um, how it all started out for me, I really never ever thought I was going to be a professional wrestler. I was playing a little college ball and, and, you know, I, you know, the only problem was, is this, you know, the study, studying got in the way of my drinking and partying. <laughs> so I ended up leaving, leaving school of my, uh, right before my uh, junior year. And I was just basically going on, uh, just campus tours, just visiting friends all over the country. And I ended up in Wisconsin where I took a job the summer before I started wrestling. I took a job in a bar. Uh, bouncing at a place called Bucks Madison Square Garden, just off the Capitol in, in Madison there. And uh, one night we, uh, there was a uh, state treasurer's convention in the state that week and, and uh, at the Capitol, and some of the state treasurers came in and they were having, having some drinks right there in Bucks. And one of them was the state treasurer of Minnesota, a guy named Bob Madsen. And... Uh, Anyway, while I was there, the place was packed, and the other doormen were busy, and I ended up like throwing four guys out on my own, and I I ended up leaping over the back end of a, of a big old you know LTD you know 1975 76 LTD mm-hmm. and tackled this guy in the street where there's these big windows, and everybody could see it in the bar. I was unaware, but when I turned back in and walked back in the bar, the whole place popped like it was a wrestling show, you know. And the guy, you know, Bob Masson at the bar, he goes, "Hey, you ever thought about being a professional wrestler?" And he, I said, "Not until just right now." <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of, and, and he kind of, he was my sponsor, and and he sponsored me through Brad Reagan's camp there up there in the AWA, and he got me press and the papers and everything, even before I'd even had tied tied my first boots, and basically. Uh, Vince, I mean, Vern's hands were tied. Um, he was drawing about 2,000 people, 1,500, 2,000 people at the Minneapolis uh, Auditorium there. And uh, we got so much press on my debut match, we had like 5,000 people in the arena that night. Well, see, you know? I, so now, that, was my, that was my first job. In the, in the, that was my first time in the job. Now, I was trying to think of the name of the, of the guy, Bob Matson. Boy, that, that was the one little piece yeah. I had in the puzzle with your career was, was uh, that, that Bob Matson connection. Now, you said you ended up in Brad Rangan's uh, wrestling camp. Uh, could you talk about uh, training with, with, with Brad? Was it, uh, did you get in some, like, a, like a camp of sorts then? Were there other guys training at yeah, the same time? Know, it, it, was, it was a camp. It was a camp. And, you know, when you got in with Brad, you know, you, the first thing you did is you had to get in the mat with him for real. And, uh, you know, um, I swear to God, he never turned me, but I'm not saying he couldn't. He just had like two knee ops back <laughs> in those days. So I don't think he was trying, but I saw him, I saw him eat these two guys up, uh, before our camp. Uh, one day the guy, uh, the guy ended up jumping out of the ring, throwing up, just grabbing his bag. He was so embarrassed and he just, he just ran out the door, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you, you know, and, and you, you you learn the hard way, you know what I mean? And and he worked, Brad trained you hard. And, but the thing is, is a couple of weeks in, he just, he, he done a deal with New York and, uh, Drew Tossel and the nasty boys then took over and kind of helped helping with the training. Funny thing about the nasty boys is they were in the camp just before me. So they, you know, they, they had, they had their, they had their value and definitely them working out with us definitely helped us a lot, you know? But then you'd have like 
Marty Gennetti and Shawn Michaels would come in and work out with us a while, uh, once in a while too. So, you know, we got opportunities to, to train, to train with some good people, even though Brad wasn't there all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was just a, it was a good experience, you know, it was, but you, you know, you worked your butt off. You had to work your butt off through Brad's channel. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean Brad is just uh, definitely uh, one of the most credible trainers you you can find in pro wrestling. I mean, he, there's a a list of guys that uh, went through his camp. You had to be double tough uh, and, and to make it out. Oh God! I oh mean, God! A lot of those guys. I mean, in 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 the in the class I went through, I'm the only guy who ever did anything extensively um, in the business. You know, the rest. Uh, none of the, I think the, one of them did some refereeing and maybe had a couple matches, and that was about it. So how long how long did it take for you know after you you got into camp and, and you were getting uh, broken into the, tr- the pro wrestling business how long uh, of, of a process was it before you were able to get out and, and get in front of a crowd and, and actually get in ring and, and and have your first match I was I I went like I mean it was November I started training we had a little break over Christmas we picked it back up in January March third eighty seven was my first match and it was in. Uh, that was in Minneapolis, Minnesota then. And about and about eight less than eight days later I was out in Vegas, uh, at the old showboat doing my first television for the old ESPN program that used to be on. And I only did one match on that. And I'll tell you what, that must that one match must have aired a thousand times on ESPN. I got I got tired of watching it the first time. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I have to ask. I'm always asking an AWA guy who's uh, who worked in the '80s uh, uh, some of the memories of, of being out at the showboat with those those tapings and stuff. I mean, you were out there uh, out out in Vegas. You were. Out, I mean, there's got to be some some at least from the one time you're there. You, do you have any uh, memories of like some of the guys uh, out there? I mean, I I mean, one guy always comes to mind when I think well, about like Larry Nelson and some of the other pro wrestlers yeah i mean you know okay you had um let's see uh, god now that you're asking me now you put me on the spot it's just i can't think of anybody but there was uh, jerry blackwell was out there with us you had uh um crusher the crusher was out there i had larry the Oxhanning, i met him out there uh and 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 that was funny because I met the guy who would eventually bring me to Europe for the first time, Otto Vance, and who helped me go to Japan, uh, inadvertently going to Japan through uh, to Fujinami uh, back then. Uh, I met Otto Vance there because Otto Vance was coming in uh, from, from Europe and doing uh, AWA shows, right? Yeah. And uh, the tight end, uh, Russ, Russ Francis from... from uh, from San from uh, San he used to play for the San Francisco 49ers back in the day when they won Super Bowls, and he was also his dad was a wrestling promoter, and he was you know he used to do the mic and he also used to do some wrestling right and a lot of people maybe don't remember that but Russ Francis was bad at him and then later I would do some uh, crossover advertising with him on some shows I ran in Omaha Nebraska because he was at the time he was. Uh, general manager of the Omaha Beef, which is like the arena football league or an indoor football league. Mm-hmm. So, you did some, um, yeah, guys like that. You did some tags so too with Jerry Blackwell as well. I did. We did, uh, we did the tag team tournament, Jerry, uh, Jerry and I, Kurt Henning, of course, Kurt Henning was out there down at the time. Nick Bockwinkle was, uh, Nick Bockwinkle had a lot of knowledge, you know, uh, tremendous. And, and, and Kurt Henning, 
was probably the first mentor I ever had, mentor I ever had in the job. You know, he, he'd tell me things and then he'd go, you know what, you're not going to understand this right now, but one day down the road, uh, you, you know, it's just going to click and you're going to go, that's what he meant. Right. And I can't tell you how many greenhorns I've told the same thing to about something. I said, you don't, you don't get it now, but trust me about three or four years, you'll, you'll understand, <laughs> you know, and they all come back to me and go, Oh my God, he was right. You know? So I just, I mean, that, that was something I, I learned early. You know what I mean? Just listen to, listen to the older guys. If they're telling you something, it's because they know something, you know? Yeah, you definitely sat under the learning tree at the right time there uh, in the AWA. I mean, you mentioned Kurt, you mentioned, you know, there was Greg Gagne, I mean, Nick Bockwinkle. I mean, at Nick at his age was still, uh, 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 he was still going these these time limit matches with, with Kurt. He had so much, you know, charisma. He had so oh, much yeah. stamina and he just was such a mind. I mean, when you listen to Nick, he didn't, he was a guy in a promo that you didn't even care if he was a, a, a healer or a face. You listened to him because he just emoted something. He, he just had that, that it quality uh both in and out of the ring well yeah there was there was a there are just certain guys that have been this business very few of them just had a real fluidity whatever they did or in or out of the ring it's just like there was no effort whatsoever whatsoever it just flowed and nick was one of them flair was one of them fit finley is another I, there was a Japanese guy, uh, Shinji Takano, who was the uh, super ninja at that time in the, in the AWA because he was really helpful to me. We went out to Portland together. Uh, he just, he was six foot six. I mean, you know, if I could compare him moving to anybody, it would be like the way Michael Jordan moved. You know, you know how he, when he jumped from the free throw line and he just, he, he looked like he was high as he was going to go. And then he'd kick that other leg and then he'd get another foot and a half in the air. That's what Shinji was like when he was wrestling, you know? Mm-hmm. And I uh, just, and there are so few guys that just have that kind of fluidity and, and Nick had it, you know? Absolutely. You know, what made you decide to, to take the jump from, from, you know, cutting your teeth in the AWA to, to heading to the, uh, the, the Owen territory up in the Pacific Northwest? Uh, well, who was the, what was the connection? Uh, who was the, the person that got you over into Portland? Because this was another great uh, territory. Well, yeah, well, what happened was, like, the AWA was just kind of, it was dying off. I mean, they were going from running 21 shows a month to all of a sudden only running four. And, you know, when you're a young green wrestler, you just can't survive off of four for four uh, matches. And that was Shinji's idea. Shinji said, well, let's go out to Portland. I know the booker. <laughs> That's what he said. So well, he we, we packed our stuff, and we drove across country, and we got there, and uh, Shinji, Shinji went right onto TV out there for Don. And cause I was green and nobody knew who I was. Um, I started working for Sandy bar in Salem on Thursday nights. And I just learned, learned my craft and I get into the ring with, with anybody who was interested in getting in the ring with me out there. And I just learned. And finally, uh, finally Rip ended up going, he ended up, uh, leaving, but he'd, uh, brought his, he, he stayed, for two weeks while his predecessor, Lynn Denton, the grappler, came in to take the book over. Well, when Lynn came in and he saw me, he, he decided they wanted to use me. And so um, then they started me off as a babyface. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how I started out there. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, was, I did about six weeks. And I was a, I was a 410-pound babyface in a small territory. 
and there was just really nothing left for me. So, you know, we were looking at getting me booked. Uh, I was getting ready to finish up, and they were they were getting ready to book me off to Tennessee. And Don Owen said to Lenny, he says, Jesus Christ, Lynn, you ever think about turning the kid heel? And so then they, they, they ended up turning me heel, and and then I had, like, a really good long run out there. A couple of I, – I tagged with uh, Mike Golden, and uh, we uh, we took the belts off the Southern Rockers, Steve Bell and Scott Petersons, and then eventually dropped them back. And then I had a little feud with me and Mike broke up. We had a little feud, and then I tagged up with Buddy Rose, Rose played, played by Buddy Rose and I. I I came up with an idea. Buddy wasn't too happy about it, but I came up with an idea about a um, – about a tag team. And I said, I said to Lenny, I said, what do you think of this? So, you know, call us the beach boys. Cause we both had blonde hair at the time, the beach blonde hair. I said, call us the beach boys. We'll come out of here in, in Bermuda shorts and the beach ball and stuff like that. And, uh, will the people will just hate us. And he goes, I love it. So I went and I got us the, the stuff to wear into the ring. And, and, uh, I, uh, went and bought the fat boys at Wipeout. And that, you know, they set it up really good for two weeks. Oh, there's a new tag team coming into the Pacific Northwest. It's going to be great. They're going to be, we don't have a picture, but in two weeks, they're going to have their debut match here in the Pacific Northwest. They're the Beach Boys. Be here. Buy your tickets early. So the next week, same thing. Well, we still haven't got a picture, but trust me, they're going to be here the next the next week. Beach Boys are going to be, they're coming from California. It's going to be a big, great opportunity to catch them. So get your tickets. And so uh, their debut match, and the music started, that wipeout, and me and Buddy came out, instant heat. It was, we, we ended up uh, filling, filling up the arena against uh, Dahl and Peterson again, and uh, it was a nice little run out there. I really enjoyed Portland. It was a beautiful country, and uh, Don Owens was, uh, he was a big supporter of mine. Now, now to put it mildly, Buddy Rose uh, definitely uh, was uh, very underrated, but he was also a, just such a character. I mean, I've heard some stories about Buddy through the years up at, up in Portland. But do you have any good uh, Buddy story that you like to share? I mean, because you know, Buddy Buddy was an no, interesting no, no, fellow. No, no, I, I, I've, <laughs> I've got some stories about Buddy, but I'm gonna keep this PG thirteen. But uh, but no, but <laughs> I'll tell you what I do. I have I had all all respect about Buddy's. A, prow- uh, a prowess in the ring and stuff like that guy had best, you know, the best timing and, you know, and he could, you know, he could make people hate him. It was, it was, he was just really talented. Um, I remember, okay, I got a story for you. It's buddy Rose, Lynn Denton and Colonel De Beers, And we're all in this pathfinder and we've all, you know, we've got our, we've got our, we've all got our beer, Buddy doesn't drink. So he's got, He's got this big super gulp full of chocolate milk and ice cubes. And uh, we're driving back from Medford. It's a five-hour drive back up to Portland, and we can only do 55 over the mountains on uh, back in those days. And uh, we're driving back, and I'm in the passenger seat in the front, and Buddy, Buddy's uh, sitting behind Lenny, who's driving, and Colonel DeBeers is behind me. Well, the beers has got a problem where he's got to piss all the time. So when he's drinking beer, he's always got to be pissing. So he gets his two 24-ounce Pabst Blue Ribbons or, or, or 45 or whatever he had back there, and he's drinking that. So instead of stopping every five minutes, he's pissing into a big gold glass. <laughs> well, the, thing, the thing's filling up, and that, all this time, Buddy's winding me up. 
because I'm like 19, 20 years old, and he was winding me up. So finally, I've got, I just pulled an unopened beer out, and I, and I go, buddy, shut that ass up, and I squeeze this beer can, and it explodes, and it goes all over the front of this, uh, the windshield, the, you know, the dash, the seats, and, and, and Lenny had just bought this truck like a week before, so now it's covered in beer. And so, uh, and, 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 you know, so Buddy shut up, though, finally. And now there's this beer. And so we're driving, and and, and, and Lasowski, he's filling up this, this big gulp cup with pee. <laughs> and Lenny Lenny looks at him in the rearview mirror, and, and, and Lasowski looks up at him, sees him eye, eye, eye. And Ed starts chuckling, and the piss starts rolling off over the top of this <laughs> big gulp cup. So Lenny's like, you and he's cussing and effing and blinded and, and everything like that. And he's pulled the car over to the side and it was only a two door. So I opened up, I got, I got out of the two door, right. And wow. I'm wearing sandals and everything like that. And I'm standing on the side of the road and he pushes the, the back seat, the front seat up and it slides up. And then he just takes the cup and he just throws the piss and it goes all over my, all over my seat and everything like that. And I'm just, I'm full, my, my feet and ankle are full of Ed's piss now. <laughs> He's in the back seat laughing his head off, right? And I'm cussing, and I'm cussing at Ed, and I'm cussing at Buddy. And I said, Buddy, throw me that towel. And he had a hotel towel or something in back. So throws me a towel, and, and he's still laughing. I wipe all the piss off this with this hotel towel. And I take, the, I take the towel, and I throw it up, and it hits Buddy in the face. And so Buddy starts puking out all this chocolate milk, and I, all over the back seat of the Pathfinder, dude. Oh my God! It was the oh, dude. We still had four hours to go back to Portland, man. I don't think anybody said a word until we were about ten minutes past Salem, which means we were a half hour out of town away from the bomber, dude. Oh my God! It was God. the funniest thing. It's the funniest thing ever, dude. Uh, you mentioned the bomber. Now that's another place that's been mentioned in stories of the place where some of the boys would stay. Did you actually have your accommodations at the bomber? And if, and if so, uh, do you have? What do you remember I about did. the place, man? That, that that I was notorious. I, I was just out there recently. Uh, on a, I was doing a I was doing a job out there, and I just went by because the restaurant's still there, the hotel's still there, but I mean they use them as apartments now. It was basically what they were using them now. But I mean, they, it's not really called a hotel anymore. But it, it was, it was just great. I was, I stayed when I first went out there. I stayed in number nine, um, and then I moved over to the biggest one, which was number sixteen. You know, it had a, it had the shag carpet in there. By God, and it was, it was just a, it was just party central. It was, it was uh, so easy. You had all the good food there, and. Uh, we do, it was like Thursday nights was Salem, which is 40 minutes down the road. Friday nights was 90 minutes down the road in Eugene. And Saturday nights were, were always uh, Portland, uh, North Portland Sports Arena, which was 20 minutes away. So, you know, it was, it was, in, it was just perfect living there in Milwaukee, Oregon. That's a bomber. And uh, we always got really good deals and, and it was, you know, everybody knew where it was. So if you met somebody or you met a girl or whatever, you say, hey, you know where the bomb was at? Yeah, meet me over there. You know, so it was just, it was a familiar and, and a local hotspot for us. Oh, very, very cool. I'm going to bring in uh, the Grizzle vet, Mike McCurdy, into the conversation here uh, on Wrestling Memories Then and Now. Do you have some questions for Mr. PN News there, Mr. McCurdy? Oh, of course I do, man. But I was enjoying listening to that story because, 
you know, I myself have known Lynn Denton for years and I can just picture the reaction this man was having as his car was being destroyed by piss and chocolate milk and whatever <laughs> other God bodily fluids were going on there. I love Len though. He's a great guy. Great fella. I just, I just spoke with him a couple of weeks ago. In fact, yeah, he, he's a really good guy. I learned a lot from Len. He's uh, one of the guys that uh, really, uh, you know, put me in the right direction as far as wrestling goes, you know, teaching me, a lot of ups and downs, and I mean, I, I mean, I used to, I used to get to watch Land wrestle uh, forty-five minutes an hour every night, you know, out there in Portland. So uh, you learned about timing, and you learned, and you just watched him. And, and Lenny was really, really smooth, man. How he did it with that big lump of extra weight on his foot, I don't know, man. It's uh, I, yeah, I yes, talented, man. yes, he was talented, man. No. I love his Rick Flair stories and. And all the other stuff. He's, uh, but uh, yeah, he's down. He's back. He's back down in Texas now. Yes, yes, he is. I just talked to him uh, eh, probably about a month ago. Um, I had a chance to speak gotcha. with him. So I always enjoy it. And so. Now, who are some of the other you names know, at that point in time? Because you said you were with Don Owens, but at your time frame, that was about towards the end of the Don yeah, Owens was, run with Portland, right? Late. Yeah, we we when when Lenny came in, it was uh, it was. I mean, we, it was, it was down and Lenny popped it. And in fact, we actually, uh, we were proud because we put on a big show where the other, the other bookers, they always had to bring in outside talent to, to sell out the sports sports arena. And we actually did it without bringing any outside talent in. We did it all in house. And so, um, Lenny, Lenny kind of popped that territory for a little while. So Lenny was out there. Matt Bourne was coming in and out. Dave Sierra, or, you know, he, he was the assassin, and then he did the Top Gun gimmick for a little while. Rip, uh, Rip uh, let's see, not Rip, uh, Rip Oliver came back out and watched us, or, uh, and worked with us after he left New York. Um, it, it was a time when Billy Jack came in and tried to run opposition against us, and, uh, he he failed miserably. I think he was done in 48 days, less than 48 days. He was folded, and we kept going. So and 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 it was at the time when Vince was still doing those. Uh, you know the NBC the the Friday night the what was it the Saturday night main event. Saturday night main event. Yeah. Well, we in Portland in in Oregon, we used to do better ratings than they did on on that show. So we'd go up head to head with them. And Portland had better ratings than than Saturday Night Main Event did, and that was only once a month. And we were going, but we were every weekend, you know. So, uh, so yeah, it was we we had some good times. Well, it was I just wanted to tell you it was it was like the first time I I I met Flair, right? And uh, Flair came in, and uh, he actually didn't draw housework in Lenny. It was early when Lenny was there, right? So. And Lenny was a heel, and, and it was Flair a heel, and they didn't really draw. And I was sitting in Don Owens' office, as I always did. I mean, I got along really good with Don. And uh, Flair came in, and he said, Don, because, you know, in those days, house shows were 50 bucks, and you made your money on TV night, you know. And he came in to Don, and he says, Don, you know, because back in those days, when the NWA champion would come in and defend his title in the territory, they'd get 12% of the gate. That was the, that was the rule. And he said, Don, don't worry about my money. 
just give me $50 and pay the trans and we'll call it good. Cause he said, cause we didn't draw. And he says, no, no. He said, Don, I'm not taking it. Go ahead and split that percentage with the boys. Then that, that is the first time I'd ever met flair. Right. And I, my, my draw, my jaw was on the ground. You know what I mean? I thought they, I thought he was the coolest thing since sliced bread. You know, I've, you know, I've heard other stories about him, but that was my first, that was my first impression of flair. And I thought that was pretty, pretty darn honorable. You know what I mean? That was a cool thing. That was, that was just my flair story. Now, you, you know, when you said your grappler was taking over the booking, was this the uh, time he took over the book? And then was this the one where later on he got let go because of, uh, well, basically there was a story of Don not paying him what he should have. And then grappler running up a phone bill. Would this have been um, about that time frame? That, I'm that sure we know the story. Way, that would have been way later. That would have been, that would have been later. That would have been after me. That would have been like when, uh, what Scotty the body and those guys were out there. That's okay. Okay. Like, oh, yeah. No, he was in good what standing. That? When I left there, he was still, he was still, him and Don were, he was just still doing, doing good business for Don. Did you, uh, was Art Bar up there at that time? Was he doing the Beetlejuice yes, he, when you were there? No, no, no. Art Bar, when I was up there, me and Art basically started the same year in 87. And Art was too small. And basically he, he would get a match maybe, maybe once every couple of weeks, but mainly he was refereeing at the time when I was up there, you know, and he was still learning the craft at the time. And Beetlejuice, like I said, Beetlejuice came when I was over in Germany already. I was already oh, okay. in Germany. Yeah. All right. Well, from Portland, obviously, you know, you went on to, you moved over to uh, world championship wrestling. This is where I learned, you know, I'd seen a little bit of footage in Portland at your time, but this is when I became introduced you know, to you in the ring. And this was, as everyone knows, yeah, the rap I, I master P. Let me, let me stop you though. Let me stop right. you though. No, I, I went to, I went to Europe first. That's right. You went to Europe yeah, first. I, went I apologize. To, I, went, I went to Europe for the first time for Otto Vance, who, you know, backtracking, I'd met him, he'd given me his card, but I'd lost him. I uh, lost a card. You know, I, I didn't know who he was at the time. You know what I mean? I wasn't a big, I wasn't a, I wasn't a mark. I wasn't a huge mark when I got into wrestling. Not like you know, kids are today where they know everything, date of birth and all you know, all that stuff. I, you know, I was I was interested in wrestling. I watched it now and again, but I, you know, I didn't follow the you know storylines verbatim and stuff. And it was just um, now I've lost my point. Um, what we were on about? <laughs> we were talking about Germany. Oh yeah. So, so, um, I was sitting out, I was up in Portland and, uh, big Jim, uh, it, it was, uh, Kamala was over in Germany in Hanover and Kamala had gotten, uh, his, his missus or something had, had pulled a fast one on him or something and he had to fly home and Otto needed a big man right away. And, uh, Masahiro Fujinami would, had, I'd met him in Portland and he, he came up to me already at that point and he goes, uh, in Portland, this was like, uh, it would have been October, like November. It had been October, and he goes, uh, oh, and this is Bam Bam was in New York, and he goes, oh, you next Bam Bam Bigelow, Japan. Oh, yeah, you know, he's talking big and stuff, and I'm going, oh, wow, oh, man, sounds good. You know, and then I'm like, uh, and so I didn't think anything of it, right? And I just had a new phone put in at the bomber and everything like that, and I give him my number, and I, you know, my, uh, you know, and that, that was about it. The first phone call I got was a guy named Otto Vance. He was, uh, 
hey, uh, can you come to Germany? And I said, sure. Uh, I, I, I drove up to, uh, to Seattle, went to the passport office. Within, in like 36 hours, I had my passport, and I was on my way to Germany for the first time. And I did Bremen that day, that like November, December. I was over there for like 40 days. And uh, then I went back for, I did two seasons there, and then I came back with the, where I had, that's where I came up with the idea for the whole PN News Rap Master kind of gimmick. I came with it over there and, and, uh, then, then, uh, then I came back to the States and wanted to see if I could, uh, do something with it, you know? So. Okay. So you went into WCW time and you already had the Rap Master PN News gimmick. This wasn't something that they came up with in the offices there. No, I came, I came, I had the pictures. The only thing that changed was the name. I had an idea, the idea for my rap and wrestler gimmick was Rap Master. I was, uh, Rap, rap Master PJ Cool. <laughs> you know, I didn't know, right? And he, and Dusty just changed it to Rap Master PN News because he says, well, your name is, you know, let me tell you, baby, your name is, uh, you know, your first name's Paul and your second name is New. And you, so we're just going to call you PN News because, you know, with CNN, PNN, everybody's going to get it, baby. That's what we'll go with. So so we got changed to PN News, and and uh, that's how the whole thing started. Now, how was your run in WCW and all that? Because, like I said, that's where I was exposing. And at that point in time, you had, you know, there was you, I believe Johnny B. Bad was coming in about that time. Yeah. There were a lot of Scott gimmick Hall, guys coming Scott in. Hall. Yeah, they were, they were trying to do. Yeah, they were trying Van to do. Hammer. You know, kind of like. Yeah, they were all trying to do like the New York thing. You know what I mean? A lot of gimmicks. You know, that's what they were trying to bring in at that time, and and like I was like the first of them, and then basically they all called us in at the same time. Maybe it was May ninth or tenth or fourth. I can't remember. But anyway, we all signed this uh, this crappy deal that they offered us. All these all these new. They, you know, they dropped the money that they were that they were paying people when they first started. And, uh, we were kind of that first group. Um, and we had, um, either the contract, uh, it's, it's a two year contract, but it had a renewal after the first year. So, uh, and, and that's basically what we all got. And, uh, we went from there and that was in May that year. And I kind of, I screwed up cause I had them by the balls and I let Dusty talk to him too, cause I'd already done, those great American bath commercials where I had the fly girls and everything like that. And mm-hmm. I've done those commercials and I wasn't under contract and I could have, I could have held out because the commercials were already there. I could have held out for, you know, a quarter of a million and I didn't, you know, but you know, hindsight's 2020, isn't it? You know, I let Dusty talk me into it. He said, I got to trust him. And that was not a, it was not a wise move. Now, how was it like working with Dusty Rhodes? Because obviously, you know, you've mentioned working with, you know, Grappler, Buddy Rose. You go WCW, Dusty Rhodes is in charge, kind of in the back and all that. What was Dusty like working with? Um, it was up and down. He promised me a lot, and he didn't come through with it. Um, I don't want to, don't want to, I, I, you know what? It's it just, I it, it just really, really disappointed in in how things were, how how things were handled then, but. I mean, I it, it's all water under the bridge now, but uh, yeah, I, I'm not a I'm not a huge Dusty Dusty fan, but I don't I don't wish him any ill. That's for sure. 
Now, of course, part of your WCW run, um, you had a feud briefly with Steve Austin, who at that time was the television champion, which led yeah. to the scaffold match where you teamed yeah. with Bobby Eaton to go up against Austin and Taylor. I have never heard really the story of the scaffold match because traditionally the scaffold match is, you know, you have your teams up top, you're supposed to, well, throw your opponents off the scaffold. Yours actually got changed into a capture the flag um, right. scaffold match. Yeah. So kind of right. what brought up the scaffold match? How was this brought up to you? And just kind of what was the evolution right. of can, you know, the final product? You, you know, this is, this is like one of my least memorable matches that I, that I've ever been involved with, you know? Um, and I get asked about it all the time. Um, so what basically what happened is, okay, they were going to do is it was a, they wanted a gimmick match for the beginning, beginning of that, uh, pay-per-view. And, uh, they, uh, said, we'll do a scaffold match and with Bobby and that. So I got, we had enough guys who could take the bump off of a norm, normal scaffold, but a normal scaffold, is you know it's like two stories up so it's only like one story above the one story uh, above the ring right and uh well the problem is is for baltimore they forgot to they forgot to order scaffolding so they didn't have any scaffolding so then the the stage the stage hands the you know the 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 tv people they rigged up a scaffolding but the scaffolding was 20,000 feet high. It was like, it was, it was at least three stories above the ring. And they pulled us in the back and they go, Hey guys, you know, and Dusty explained what I just explained to you about not having a regular scaffolding. And this is how it's got to go. I mean, I out of regular scaffolding, I just took the bump. I mean, I was, I was familiar taking all sorts of bumps off the top rope anyway, you know? Um, and, uh, so, uh, and this is what happened guys. You know, what are we going to do? And Bobby said right away, this is cool. Hey, Bobby goes, I'll take the bump. And, 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 and Dusty says, no, nah, I can't have you do that. Right. And, and he was right. You know what I mean? So I'll give him, you know, kudos for, for that. And he, he finally said, listen, we're going to put these flags on either side and to win. The other team's got to get the other flags. This is, you know, and so, I mean, you know, it was, it was a desperate, desperate match that was, and, and, and nobody, you know, and, you know, and just trying to keep yourself from, not breaking your legs. You know what I mean? That was basically what most of us were thinking up there. You know what I mean? So now after the scaffold match, you're running WCW. It was, you know, you were there for, you know, about a year or so Um, towards the end, you actually did have, you got a title shot against Steve Austin. You also worked with uh, the diamond stud who obviously people now know Scott Hall Razor Ramon went on there. Mm-hmm. What was it like working with those guys? Because at that time, Steve Austin and Scott Hall were still, they were at the beginning of their careers. I mean, Scott Hall had a run with you know, AWA and all that, but you know, they weren't nowhere near what they eventually became. What was it like working with those guys? Well, I'll tell you what. Scott was already pretty, he wasn't polished, but he was pretty good. He'd already been, he, he started like a year before I did or, or a little more. So he had a, he had at least a little bit of experience um i would me and scott because we worked together in europe we you know we did two years in germany and austria together uh we were familiar with each other and uh we actually had we had decent matches you know what i mean i mean scott can be clumsy and letty and stuff like that and i've never been one to complain about anybody's that's been clumsy or or stiff or letty with me because it can happen to all of us 
And uh, so we, me and Scott would have some good matches, you know. And then uh, as far as uh, with, with, with Steve Austin, the guy was already just smooth as hell. Um, he was, but the only problem was, is he was like, he wanted to try and pick me up and throw me in and keep running me around like I'm a middleweight instead of, instead of a 400 pound man, you know? So, uh, that's, that's the only, he didn't, you know, he lacked, he lacked psychology at that point, but that was, you know, but other than that, he was, he was already solid at that point. He was really solid. Now, who were some of the other names that you had a chance to work with in, uh, you know, WCW? WC well I I did uh, when I when we did the England tour over in uh, we did the first ever England tour over for WCW and uh, I wrestled uh, Luger for the title uh, in London and I wrestled Root for for the US title in uh, up in Sheffield and then I wrestled John B. Bad over in Ireland and uh, yeah that was so I mean and uh, let's see I mean I you know working with you know, I don't. I never wrestled with Barry Windham. We did tag together. That was interesting as heck. Did a lot of. I did a lot of stuff with like the uh, the Young Guns. You know, work with them a little bit. Um, I the first match I ever. Actually, the first match I ever had for WCW. It was. Uh, it was. And we tore the house down. It was the first match in Panama City um, opener. And I filled in, I was filling in for somebody. I was down with um, Randy Colley, Moon Rex, and his knee was bothering him. So uh, Grizzly said, well, you got your bag with you? I said, yeah. He goes, okay, you can take Randy's place. And so I went out there and worked heel in the PN News gimmick, you know, that I'd already had made and everything like that. And me and me and Brad just tore it down. Brad is such a smooth worker. That's the most, one of the most underrated talent guys I in this business ever. You know, he was just super smooth, man. Easy, easy as hell. Um, but uh, you know, and I, I work with like Big Cat. Uh, What's his name, Mister Hughes? I did some stuff with him. I gave Diamond Dallas Page his first television uh, TV match uh, in Topeka, Kansas. We we uh, I I, uh, I wrestled him in Topeka at one of the great American bashes or whatever it was. Yeah. I think it was bash. Yeah. yeah those are the guys. And, oh, Stan Anson. Stan Anson. I had to work with Stan Anson. That was, that was in a tag. That was kind of funny. And I think Owen Hart was there at the time still. And he, uh, he was winding. He, he wound, he wound Stan up. Right. So, so anyway, you know, Stan, Stan's, we're all, all there at the, at the show that day. We're in St. Louis and, we're waiting to go into the ring, and then it's his TV day, and Stan's come straight from the airport, and, and you know, my name's already up on the board with him and everything like that. We're in the tag match. I think it's Tom Zank and me and and uh, Stan, and I can't I can't think who the other guy is. But anyway, um, oh, Tom Zank was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was me and Tom Zank. I can't, but anyway, so, uh, anyway, the first thing Owen does is he goes, he's like, Stan, oh, man. He's like going, you believe what that kid said? And, and, and like Stan's going, what, what? He said, he says, so he said like, he can't believe he has to wrestle that old man. Right. Referring to Stan Hansen. <laughs> and Stan got hot. He goes, I'll show that kid. <laughs> so I'll tell you what, man, he, you know, he didn't, you know, he didn't beat me up or stretch me or anything like that, but he blew me up, man. That guy has got a motor. Like he wouldn't believe man. 
And so I was sucking wind. There was nothing I could do. And, you know, after about two or three minutes, it was dead. I couldn't do anything. I was blowing my ass off, just begging for Tom to tag me out. <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious, man. That's what Owen would do. Owen could just, uh, he could instigate some crap. I got a chance to talk with Stan one time at a, a show out here, and he had made the comment that we were talking about the Lariat. And he had made the comment that, you know, in the ring, he was blind as a bat. So he had to make sure to lay it in yeah. hard so it looked good on TV. And he said he didn't <laughs> feel sorry for his opponents. Oh, my God. I heard so many stories about them. It's like him and Williams, they were on T. Oh, you know, they were in Japan. I can't remember who they were wrestling, a couple of Japanese guys. And and anyway, uh, Stan had hit, hit the kid. And it, anyway, it popped his eyeball out, right? And which okay, which isn't funny. I know, okay, violence, brutal violence. But anyway, it's still kind of funny. And when the when the when the the ref comes back and goes, Why why did you hurt the boy? What'd you do? And Stan looked up and he was damn, I didn't even know I tatered him. <laughs> oh my god, wrestling isn't and, and then Steve Williams' line was, It ain't ballet, baby. You know, and it certainly is not. All right, Glenn, I'm going to pass the microphone over to you for the next round of questions. Okay, I got a few more questions here uh, as we wrap up the final segments uh, on this edition of Wrestling Memories Then and Now with PN News. Uh, I want to talk about a guy who you ended up working for uh, for a, a little bit in 1999 who was in WCW before we leave WCW uh, behind. Uh, Paul, Paul Lee Dangerously, or Paul Heyman. What, what, this guy, I mean, what a character, but what a mind for wrestling. And, and, and at the time, he was uh, still very much a part of WCW, but what do you remember of a Paul Lee back when you uh, first encountered him in World Championship Wrestling? Well, Paulie was doing, I thought Paulie was really talented on the mic. He always talked to me. He came up to me. He had ideas. I was uh, I was always receptive to his ideas. I did one of his, you know, little segments uh, one time, and, and he made me a million, he made me into a million dollars. You know what I mean? Uh, he, he just, he was, he was good. And then we did these mixed tags where it was me and Missy Hyatt against him and, uh, I think one was with Terry Taylor and the other one was with Arn Anderson and, and like the Meadowlands, one was up in the Meadowlands up in uh, New Jersey. And uh, everybody came out to me, the Steiners would come out to get him, break his legs. You know, they're all trying to want me to stiff Polly, and I'm like, why, you know? So they all want me to give him a stiff one, and I, I just didn't. I, I went up, I went up and did my splash, and I, you know, took care of him, and he was... I mean, he thanked me for about 10 minutes backstage that I didn't hurt him, <laughs> you know? So, uh, so then when I, in, in 99, when I wanted to have a little, give it a shot with WEC, ECW, I, I went up there and, and, uh, probably started to use me right away. I did something with, uh, what's his name? Uh, Dudley and did that quick job, the big man, quick man job, checking my ego and everything like that. And, and uh, then I started doing that and was doing that Baldies for a little while. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember it just, that. It just, it just wasn't financially working out up there. Everybody, nobody was getting paid, and it was, so it was kind of a short-lived thing. So. Which was unfortunate, considering, but, I mean, how, how much that the ECW, the exposure ECW was getting, it just, uh, the finances just weren't working out, and, and Paul was kind of working himself into a financial hole. Prom- a lot of promises were made from sure. what, what I could gather. Oh, oh! I'm, I'm sure there were. I'm sure I'm not the only one who was made promises to or anything like that. I'm not, and and, and that's the thing. I mean, that's just the way. It's it's just like every other business. You, you know, nothing's guaranteed. 
after you left WCW, uh, you you went back to to uh, Germany and and worked with uh, the Catch Wrestling Association uh, with the Cannonball Grizzly Handle, and you did some tags uh, not only with uh, uh, John Hawk, pre John Layfield, uh, I guess, and also Bruiser yeah, Mastino. Yeah, yeah. You had some good tags, uh, tag teams, uh, and also Jesse James Armstrong. Could you talk about that run post WCW in, in Germany and just kind of the difference in crowd reactions and the way they uh, the way they do their thing over in Germany. Well, yeah, and uh, you know, and then also uh, one of my partners was Robbie Brookside, who is now uh, at uh, NXT. He's at the training facility down there, you know, helping train the new kids coming in. English, uh, the English, one of the former Liverpool lads. Um, he was one of my partners there too. I, I mean, Germany was. I mean, it was just a completely different animal. With without television, because and and like it, it all changed as soon as like uh, you know Vince started going international with the TV programming and everything like that. It slowly uh, killed off what was going on over there because um, wrestling was deemed, even though they had boxing and other forms of uh, martial arts on television, wrestling was deemed too violent for TV in Germany and Austria. So. So they w- they weren't allowed to uh, air it on television. So if you wanted to see, it was and, and in most cities, most cities have statutes that you have to be uh, 15 years of age or 13 and accompanied with an adult uh, to actually go to a wrestling match. So no kids, you know, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, you but you but you'd go in there and you'd go in like a circus. You and sometimes you wrestled in tents. And in fact, I'll give you an example: Hanover. We'd get to Hanover, um, generally we'd start Hanover at the beginning of September, and we'd finish Hanover at the end of October and uh, early November. It was usually uh, 60, 63 days or something like that, and it would go on during the October, the, the Oktoberfest was right next door because it was on this big uh, parking plot a lot where they'd have the old Oktoberfest and all that set up. So you get a lot of walk-by traffic, and we'd wrestle in that tent every night of the week. And usually back in those days, I'm saying like late 80s, early 90s, um, into the mid-90s, we were still getting crowds like three or four four days a week. We'd fill those tents up, and we're talking, you know, 2,000, 2,500 people, you know. And then, you know, Mondays were always usually pretty slow, and then Wednesdays were usually pretty slow. Tuesdays, we made ladies' night, so ladies used to get in for, like, five Deutschmarks. And uh, and then, like, Thursday, there would be some kind of special event. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday was always uh, something going on, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was great because we'd be in the same town. There wouldn't be those long car rides or jet rides or anything like that. You could live your life. So a lot of us had our families on the road with us and stuff like that, living in, uh, you know, campers and stuff like uh like carnival folk, I guess. And, uh, but it was just a, it was just a great atmosphere. You get to enjoy all these cities, you know, I, 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 Graz, Austria, Linz, Austria, Vienna, Austria, Berlin, uh, Bremen, Hanover, you know, places like that. And you're, you're just, you're, you're spending a month at a time in a lot of these places or more. It's just, it was just, it was just beautiful being part of the European culture and stuff, but the wrestling itself crowds are very, were, were always very appreciative and very, um, you know, it's not like in the States where you got to cut somebody's head off, you know, the, the, 
the, the crowds in Europe like a good work rate, but they also like a great story, you know? And that's where uh, some of the English wrestlers and some of the American wrestlers especially uh, would, would, would thrive in Europe because they tended to have a better grasp on how on wrestling psychology than most of the, you know, the Germans and French and, and uh, European wrestlers, you know, but, uh, and, and, and everybody together made it like an international tournament and you'd get points for winning. You get three points for winning. If you did a draw and you were doing rounds. And so if you, if you went five, five rounds through during a regular tournament match is a, is a draw. So you get one point, each wrestler would get a point for a draw. And if you lost, you got no points for, for a loss. And you'd go on, and at the end, you'd rather the, the two, the two top point winners would wrestle for the, for the cup final, and so on and so forth. And so, and then you know, and then throughout the tournament, you'd also have like middleweight championships, tag championships, and maybe on the last day, you probably have a super heavyweight championship. And and it was just it was such a, um, it was such a different time. It was just a, it was a great time, and. Uh, yeah, it was uh, for me. It was it was a wrestling. It was like a wrestling heaven. I think that's why I ended up going back and staying for so long. Mm, very cool. And now it looks like we've been talking and enjoying uh, hearing your stories, uh, Paul. It looks like our time limit is uh, just about ready to expire. We've went a whole damn Broadway here on this edition of Wrestling yeah, Memories man. then and now, so brother. We did do a time limit. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. The thing is, is, you know what? Maybe we could do this again because I haven't even told you a third of my stories. Not even a fifth. That's I what mean, I, if you do like it, you get a good response. I, I, you know what? I'll help you guys out. I'll come back on again if people are responsive to it. They want to have more. If they have questions they want to ask, you know, feel free to ask them. You know. And, oh, that is so that is so generous of your time. There. Very generous of your time, and I appreciate you. And I appreciate you taking the time. In, enjoy uh, the one-time AWA uh, uh, mecca that was is Grand Forks uh, today, and uh, try to stay dry, my friend. <laughs> All right, you guys too, man, and I appreciate you guys. Keep the people informed, and uh, yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. All right, for PN News and the Grizzle Vet Mike McCurdy, I'm Glenn Broggett. This has been Rasslin' Memories, then and now.